Welcome to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series, Paths to On-Farm Excellence, where we discuss priority topics for Canadian dairy farmers. My name's Stephen Roach. I'm the director and principal consultant for an animal health research consulting firm called Acer Consulting, which is based in Guelph, Ontario. I'm part of a team that's working with the Dairy Farmers of Canada to help showcase Canadian dairy farming stories, industry updates, and the latest science, advice, and perspectives on high-priority topics that relate to ProAction. You'll find this channel features a number of different series, from animal care to biosecurity and beyond. This podcast series features conversations with farmers, veterinarians, nutritionists, hoof trimmers, and other farm advisors, researchers, and many other industry stakeholders. Our next discussion takes place with Dr. Laura Solano, a veterinarian and animal health researcher based in Alberta, Canada. I sat down with Laura to discuss her perspectives on what producers can do to get on the path to zero lameness. She discusses what we know about lameness and what causes it on Canadian dairy farms, and she gets into the details on what producers can do to reduce lameness and prevent it from occurring moving forward. So, let's jump in. All right. Well, uh, Laura, it's a pleasure to uh, to be able to sit with you today in uh, in Red Deer, Alberta, and chat a little bit about your perspectives on uh, on lameness and the Canadian dairy industry as a whole. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and it's a sunny day. You can't see it, but it's very sunny. And That's right. It's in the middle of a Chinook, <laughs> yeah. so I'm I'm going to take that. Um, so. I, you know, we've got a, a pretty wide listenership here for this podcast, um, and and we're really trying to hit coast to coast across Canada and and beyond that, even in terms of what can dairy producers do to help address specific issues such as lameness or injuries or safe animal handling and, and other topics that really relate to animal care. Um, but before we do that, I like to give everyone a, a sense of who we're talking to and and their perspective. So, do you mind giving us a sense, Laura, of of who you are, where you work, what you do, and and how this relates to the Canadian dairy industry and the lameness discussion we have today? Sure. Um, well, I'm a veterinarian from Costa Rica. I'm a daughter of a dairy farmer as well. So uh, in Costa Rica, dairy farming is a little bit different. We have a pasture-based system. Um, yet I've been exposed to the joys and challenges of dairy farming since I was um little. So I did my vet degree back home and uh, at the end of my vet degree I started um, a national study on mastitis and other health and that's how I started getting interested into the research side of things. When I finished vet school I still loved the clinical side of things so I went to externships in Europe and worked in cattle hospitals in Germany and the Netherlands and Belgium so that gave me a good uh, perspective of how dairy farming is in many places in the world. And then at the end, I came to Canada and did my PhD here at the University of Calgary, and it was in production animal health epidemiology. Um, and my research throughout my PhD focused mostly on identifying management practices uh, that were aiming at controlling lameness and improving cow comfort on Canadian dairy herds. Mm-hmm. So since my PhD, um, I've been working, and that was about three and a half years ago that I started on this, I've been working as a consultant, as an independent consultant, and mostly of what I do is related to the animal care topic, and I deliver outreach programs, I try to develop um, 
disease prevention plans for farms, for the province, a bit also in the national level, um, continue training personnel, uh, farm personnel in English and in Spanish. And I continue collaborating, which is the really cool side of things as well, that I continue collaborating with researchers, with hoof trimmers, with veterinarians and other uh, advisors. So that's probably the, in a nutshell, what I've been doing in the past 10 or 15 years. <laughs> yeah, that's phenomenal. What a wide range of experiences and and, uh, and education you've got, which is pretty, I think will really lead to the richness of the conversation um, that we'll have now. <laughs> um, so if, if we sort of drill into to the topic today, which is lameness, sort of all aspects of lameness, it's an issue that most people think about when we talk about, you know, animal care in the dairy industry or, or prevailing diseases, issues that we need to, to address. Um, so let's start with the basics. How common is lameness on Canadian dairy farms? Do we have a decent sense of that? Yeah, um, unfortunately, it's quite common. Um, I guess that the topic of lameness has started gaining a little bit of traction since the early 2000s. So if we compare it to mastitis, for example, it's quite a recent topic overall. Um, And since 2015, 2013, 15, we've started to have a lot of studies coming up, a lot of Mm -hmm. large-scale studies investigating lameness and body injuries and a lot of aspects related to cow comfort in Canada. And these studies have been a series of studies at a national level, really, uh, involving several farms in eastern and western Canada, uh, involving all the provinces, almost all. <laughs> and what we know so far is that, well, the the um, prevalence, we call prevalence the number of cows that we see lame at a certain point in time. The prevalence of lameness varies quite a bit, uh, but on average we have about 15 to 35 percent of lame cows on a herd. Um, And when we talk about these numbers also, it's uh, important to highlight that we talk about mild and severe lame, not mm-hmm. just severely lame, but it includes the mild uh, cases as well. And we have quite a range from 15 to 35 percent because that depends also um, on the housing system, on the milking system as well, on the regions that we're talking about um, in Canada. But on average, yeah, if we want to put a number to it, we could say that we're about 25 percent of lameness mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. So we've got that. some, we've got a ways to go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So you mentioned a couple of the sort of important factors that influence the differences in the levels or the rates of lameness that we see on on farms in Canada. One of the ones you mentioned is housing. And of course, we have um, some predominant systems. You know, we've got freestall systems, we've got tie stall systems, and then we've got lots of little sort of Mm -hmm. nuances (laughs) within all of those those systems, particularly with respect to outdoor access or pack uh, barns and, and so on. Can you just break that down a little bit for us? So if I'm a tie stall farmer listening versus a freestall farmer listening, generally how does lameness sort of section out into these two groups? Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh, several housing systems, um, just uh, pasture 
uh, or outdoor access is not that common, depending on the on the province mm-hmm. and depending on the area, but it's um, usually not a super common practice all over Canada. So if we stick to the fact that uh, most farms, what they have is, uh, we find that the bedded packs, the packs, the, the bedded packs with straw or compost, those farms are usually the ones that have the lowest lameness prevalence, and we find about 12%. And when I'm mentioning these figures released from several studies throughout, really throughout 2015 until now, um, and then when we talk about free stalls, we're looking at uh, ranges anywhere from 20 up to 28% of cows that are lame. And then when we talk about tie stalls, there is quite a big variation in there. The latest research actually from the Maritimes um, found about a 15% of lameness in tie stalls, but other studies uh, in Canada have found up to even 32% of um, of lameness and again these numbers include mild and severely lame and it also depends a little bit on the regions so uh, and obviously on the facility design and many other factors so that's why we see these ranges being um, so wide mm-hmm. so in other words you can you know sort of have a well-managed tie stall farm or a free stall or a bedded pack system exactly. and everything's <laughs> you know and, and things can be managed well like many other diseases and aspects exactly. of dairy and you can have a barn built in the 1980s that has less than 5% of lameness and a barn built uh, last month and it has a 30% right. of lameness. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not a good comparison because in a month it wouldn't be. But, you know, a new barn versus a uh, an old barn, a lot of it is management. The same for many other yep. diseases yep. goes that way. So, yeah. Right. So um, recognizing there's so many levels of depth that we could get into sort of what we know and understand about some of these things. So I like to to make sure that our listeners understand why we're talking about lameness so much um, from a couple of different perspectives. So um, if we're focused on, on lameness as a concerning issue or an issue we should be concerned about, um, what are some of the key reasons or what jumps to mind for you, Laura? As far as concerning factors, yeah. Why mean? should like why happened? should producers? Why should consumers? Why are we generally the sort of mm-hmm. the collective we worried about lameness or concerned about it and should be focused on it? So, in my view, the three most concerning factors that are related to lameness have to do with the pain, how underestimated uh, lameness is, and the chronic nature of the disease. Um, so, when we think about lameness, we got to think that lameness is simply a sign of pain. The cow has uh, is in pain and she's going to limp. Um, and that pain is going to have an effect on the wealth, on the well, uh, on the health and the well-being, on the productivity of the cow. And this pain, the issue with this pain is that it's often not detected. Right. And that's what it takes us to the underestimation of lameness. Um, there are several studies out there and several numbers on this, but roughly fa- farmers can identify about a third of the lame cows that a trained person would be able to identify. Um, and this is really not because they don't care or they don't take the time to detect necessarily, but this is also because detecting a lame cow is not always that simple. We have different um, severities of lameness, so detecting a very severe lame cow, that's easy, that 
something that my grandmother can identify, but it's not that easy to detect a cow that is not severely limp, that is just starting to limp. Um, and the issue with that, which takes us to the third concern, is chronicity, because um, the cows that are severely lame, it's going to be more difficult whenever we detect them and when we treat them, it's going to be more difficult that they actually recover. Mm -hmm. And if they recover, then it's more likely that they're also going to relapse. There is already a whole anatomic change and an inflammation and a cycle of events that it's going to affect how that cow reacts to treatment, responds to treatment, and is able to recover. Um, so the issue with that too is that you're, we're usually identifying cows uh, and treating them when they're severely lame and that's already too late. And whenever we talk about that 25% of lameness that I told you that on average Canada has, for example, um, most of those cows that are lame at one time have had a history of lameness, of previous lameness. So almost 80% of the cows that are lame at a specific time may have a history of lameness um, in this lactation or in previous lactations. And we most, well, we're not really having a lot of control on which are the chronic cows and how to follow up with those. So I guess, yeah, in, that, in my mind, those are the main concerns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, th- I like how you link them together too. And it really, I mean, the takeaways there is that, you know, it's an important well- health and welfare issue for cows. It's a economic and welfare concern from a farmer's perspective, and it influences potentially the reputation of our industry. Right. And, and speaking to that sort of from an industry standpoint, how do we differ, Laura, or do you have a sense of how we differ in terms of rates of lameness in Canada to other similar dairy industries in other countries? Are we ahead of the curve? Are we right in the middle? Are we, you know, doing what we can? Um, and, and while we're not seeing all the changes we'd like to see or all, mm-hmm. all the improvement we'd like to see, are other jurisdictions, other regions, other countries doing a better job? Or do we fall in line? Is this a global issue or is this a national issue? I guess is what I'm mm-hmm. getting at. I Seeing it from a foreigner Costa Rican perspective, I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. Um, Canada is always has always had a great reputation on being proactive, and uh, a lot of us we look up to Canada uh, in many many ways, from genetics to uh, repro mastitis, because you guys have uh, figured it out uh, very well, and the system allows for many improvements and. And, and good things happening. Um, having said that, um, that topic on lameness has been, if we just talk specifically about lameness, uh, it started a bit a bit later in Canada, mm-hmm. but it started sooner than in other countries. And when we compare these um, averages of how many lame cows do we have to other countries, we go back to... Uh, to the fact that it also depends a little bit on the system, right? So uh, we don't compare very well to pasture-based systems like Chile, New Zealand, Australia, pasture-based systems, we're going to have less lameness usually, um, but they're... it's a different system, completely different system, right? But yeah, we would compare higher than them. When we compare ourselves to other systems in Europe, for example, or other partial or fully confined systems, like in Europe or in the US, 
again, it just depends a lot on the on the system, on the housing management, on the use of sand and other factors. But for example, we can compare ourselves to the UK. In the UK, they've seen ranges anywhere from 20 to 40 percent. Germany, 45 percent. Finland, 21 percent. In the US, it varies a lot depending on the states mm -hmm. as well. California or uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, I think that they're about 20, anywhere from 20 to 30 percent. Whereas in the Northeast US, some studies um, have determined that it is as high as 55 percent. Okay. So again, it just depends a lot on the system and the management from these from different countries and different states and so on mm -hmm. it's as variable and it goes back to how housing and management plays a role in this wide variability yeah no fair enough and and I like again you know you, you break it down nicely in terms of there are rates of lameness that that we might look at as as quite you know, quite a bit better than ours, but they're from systems that are, you know, significantly different from yeah. ours for various reasons, yeah. right? I mean, many of those, you know, your home country and many others mm -hmm. south of us um, don't aren't draped in snow uh, exactly. for <laughs> six to eight months of the year. Um, and that's what it's difficult to explain also to the public. Why do we need to keep our cows most of the time indoors right. and yeah that that is obviously going to have an effect but also when i looked at our cows in costa rica and latin america and how they have to deal with the inclement weather mm -hmm. most of the times i would rather be in a cow in canada in a <laughs> comfy <laughs> indoor situation than having to deal with the weather that volcano explosions the <laughs> hurricanes and so on so yeah. it's not neither system is perfect no we just have to work with them yeah totally fair so i think the one word that you or the the two words you used quite frequently in talking about uh our understanding of rates of lameness or or how prevalent that condition is is uh it depends and so, and I think that's totally fair. This is a, what many researchers would call uh, a multifactorial disease. And simply that means that a lot of different factors or multiple factors have to combine or come together to, to cause lameness. And that's true of many diseases, but really particularly true when we talk about lameness. So again, recognizing we could go into levels of detail that, you know, are well beyond the 20 to 30 minute timeline we try and give ourselves here. What are some of the big risk factors or big factors that come to your mind, Laura, when you when someone asks you the question, what causes lameness or what contributes in a barn setting to a cow becoming lame? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, so you said it uh, quite well. Lameness is a multifactorial disease. And with that, we just say that it's not caused by, it's a disease that is not caused by one factor, rather multiple, several factors and potentially interconnected working at the same time. So it, that makes it really hard to pinpoint which exact specific factor is causing lameness mm -hmm. in the farm. It's usually a combination of, and uh, it, that, that, that becomes a little hard sometimes whenever um, we try to help herds in, that have lameness problems. And a lot of times the producers want just this one answer of what is causing right. my, of my lame cows. And it's not as simple as that. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we have to look at several things. And just to take even um, a step back, most of the lameness is caused by hoof lesions. Right. And we have several different types of hoof lesions, and we can just break those down into infectious and non-infectious lesions. And in 
in each category, there's going to be several other lesions, and each one of these lesions is going to be caused differently. It's going to have a different, we call it pathogenesis, the way that it's formed, mm-hmm. um, how does it develop, and it's going to have different risk factors. So again, that just adds a bit of a level of complication to the whole multifactorial um, component that lameness has. When we think, um, going back to your question and thinking about the main risk factors um, that are associated with lameness, we think about uh, factors that are associated with the management of the farm, with the facilities or design of the environment where mm-hmm. the cow is, and with the cow itself. And again, this is going to depend on the cause of lameness. So that's why it's important to go a step back and determine what is causing lameness so that we can pinpoint better which risk factors may be uh, more connected to this cause. And uh, when we talk, for example, about management factors, um, we can think about how the stall uh, or line surface is being managed. That's a consistent finding from studies in Canada, in the U.S., in Europe. We know that bedding, 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 the amount of bedding and how the comfort of the stalls or the surface where the cow lies down, that's going to play an essential role. And it's it's really interesting to look at it because all, as I said, all of our systems in Europe, North America, well, Canada, even the U.S., comparatively, uh, they're very different. We all have very different systems, very different weather, yet over I think 20 studies or so have determined bedding and the management of uh, the stall comfort or the line surface comfort as the main, one of the main things. Right. With that also, if we talk about stalls, the stall configuration as well, another important component on how that is, the facilities are designed and managed is the floor. So the traction of that flooring, mm-hmm. the quality, uh, how slippery it is, um, how uh, rough it is, uh, Cattle handling is a big one. I know you have another podcast on that as well, but cattle handling added to the floor quality, that's going to be a main risk factor as well. And if we look at at the cow factors, the individual cow, how can she be more prone or not to develop lameness? It depends. Uh, Some cows, well, uh, some cows are going to be more prone to be lame uh, in certain stage of lactation, transition period being a main risk factor. Mm -hmm. Also, um, peak lactation and mid lactation can also be risk factors for um, developing lameness. Uh, Cows that have lost body condition score, certain breeds as well, Holsteins would be more prone to be, uh, to have, well, to have lame cases, lame events and so on. So it just depends again on several factors and how these interconnect. And it's not just one thing, it's a combination of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think what becomes clear as someone listening to, to your explanation there, which I think is quite good, um, is you know, it's difficult to know everything that <laughs> yeah. that we need to know as an individual trying to manage something like this. And that really highlights the importance of, from a producer standpoint, working with people like yourself and, and many others that have a different perspective and a fresh set of eyes and maybe some, you know, a different um, understanding of some of these factors that can help aid in, in improving the situation or maybe 
It's taking a step back again, <laughs> like you said, is detecting it and then improving, determining what we need to improve in the first place or change. So as a veterinarian, as a researcher, you've really devoted yourself to um, to moving forward and helping, you know, the, I was going to say the Canadian dairy industry, but I know it's broader than that. You're helping <laughs> producers globally about how they can improve uh, and address lameness on their farm. So can you tell us a little bit about how you take your knowledge, what's in between your ears and your experience, all of those things you've just talked about to it to a certain degree, um, and help producers. What are the thing? What are the things that you're doing when you work with producers on farm? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that. <laughs> um, I guess that I I try to see it because of my background. I try to see um, analyze how to help producers from a veterinarian perspective, but also from a dairy farmer perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my father, I've learned a lot. My father is probably the most challenging client I have, so <laughs> I know how, how things work. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely, it, I, I know the challenges that dairy farming comes with, sure. and I've seen it very close, so it's something really that is not easy, and I look up for all the farmers out there, because it's a hard, hard work. Um, and I guess I also see it from a researcher perspective. So the combination of being involved with uh, dairy farming from a research perspective, medicine perspective, health perspective, and, and science perspective makes me have a broader knowledge and trying to make and shift towards decisions that are that have some evidence uh, to it. So mm-hmm. I kind of always, you know, we can't really prove everything with research. Uh, we can't, uh, unfortunately, it's not that easy, but we have a lot of evidence out there. And I think we know enough on how to make things better. Um, and again, like uh, the example that I put on how many studies from different parts of the world have find similarities and commonalities in one single risk factor that tells us a lot, right? Right. So I don't think that we have to figure absolutely everything out and um, and know everything. We know enough and we work with that. And with working with that, then I um, what I try to do too is I try to take the perspective of the farmer and trying to understand a little bit of the mindset and where are they going and what plans do they have in the future. A lot of them may not be farming in five, ten more years or something like that. So we look for other solutions. A lot of them uh, have family and they're going to pass uh, the business to their families. So it, it depends a lot on where the farmer is at and what interests the farmer and what is the mindset of the farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to understand that and incorporate, uh, for example, for some of them, the economic reasons may be a big deal. For some of them, is not as important as pre- the preventive part and having, you know, like the benefits may outweigh the cost. So they see it from that perspective. Um, so everybody sees it different and everybody has a different approach on what they want. And I just try to work with that, combining the experience and the knowledge that I may have from what I know it works. And if the most difficult part, I guess, is when we have to almost prove something economically and how it makes sense because numbers that are related to cow comfort and to the gain that you may have from something not tangible (laughs) is difficult but you know there are other ways to work around it so I guess that yeah my approach with that is just trying to understand the mindset of the farmer and incorporating what can work for each specific 
case scenario and working with the team that they may have. Hopefully they have a team that we can work together and mm -hmm. taking it from there and following up, which is very important too. <laughs> so recognizing, again, that that answer sort of is, it depends. Uh, and I like that, again, tailoring it within sort of the context of where's this farm headed, what are their goals, and what are they able to do. Um, what do you find, Laura, is some of your more common recommendations for for preventing and or controlling lameness, depending on where they want to focus? So my most common recommendations, I guess, are linked to what I most commonly see on farm. Right. And what I most commonly see on farm are issues, well, we haven't talked about this in lots of detail, but usually it's issues with digital dermatitis. Mm -hmm. You can call it mortillero. In British Columbia, they call it fungus. Everybody calls it differently. But digital dermatitis, that's a biggie. Uh, that's a big cause of lameness. Um, and the other two uh, that I commonly see are soul ulcers and white line disease. And those are non-infectious uh, lesions. So those are usually, a lot of times actually I'm um, uh, reached by somebody because they think that they have a huge issue on digital dermatitis and this is the biggest issue that I have and I need to control it. And when I go back and I look at the records and I look at the farm data, whatever they have, this is not the main issue. The main issue is actually soil ulcers and white lines. But So I always try to take a step back and, and see where maybe a disconnect between what they think that the issue may be and what I think that the issue could be based on what they have and what I see, right? So those are definitely recommendations. Uh, water and feed management and how to try to improve that so that cows can have uh, more access and competition decreases and accessibility to resources um, improves as well. And a big one is also decreasing standing times. Mm -hmm. It's very often that uh, I see st long standing times because of milking parlor inefficiencies or overstocking as well, uh, or just poor comfort in the stall. So that's one of definitely the main ones. Um, another part that I really try to work with is with the hoof trimmer and the veterinarian and, and figuring out um, better hoof trimming schedules and what would be better for the farm as far as uh, when and which to uh, which cows to trim, and another number one that it's usually an easy fix is the food bathing right. protocols. Yep. So food bath is actually some of the easiest and most um, the fastest changes that you can see a good effect, um, but it's often very poorly run. Mm -hmm. And most of the issues that we see with food baths is because of a lack of good design or a lack of a good protocol or consistency in it. So I guess that's a long list of things that I just gave you, but those are the main ones that I get to um, deal with. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, just listening to you, you get a real sense for, for how many different factors and different areas of the barn you need to look at, including right. the people working on the barn and, right. and their mindset, like to use the word you use, which I think is great. So rounding out our conversation, Laura, one of the things you mentioned at the beginning was that uh, you, we really haven't seen much in the way of a change in terms of the prevalence or the average number of cows on a farm that has have lameness, either mild or severe lameness. And you mentioned later on that, you know, you feel like we generally have enough knowledge uh, or information on, on some of the things we could do to improve the situation. So why do you think we haven't 
managed to to really move the needle, so to speak? Why haven't we made as much progress as we might be able to? Should we just apply the information, or is it not that simple? Yeah, it is not that simple, and everybody's too busy too to do it uh, at the right time. But I think one of the um, issues is that we have more of a we tend to have more of a reactive. Uh, response rather than a proactive response. Uh, and that's the shift that I think we need to do. Mm-hmm. And with that, really, what I mean is, as I was talking earlier about how we're failing in identifying, for example, cows that are just starting to get lame. Yep. Those cows that we see that are mildly lame, well, we're not treating them right there we're waiting we're either not identifying we're failing in identifying them or we're failing in treating them immediately and that creates an issue with how we shift from being proactive to reactive because now then it's not until we see the cow that it's severely lame that we're going to treat her and that she goes to the list for the hoof trimmer or we treat her ourselves but when we're determining that she needs to be trimmed is because she's severely lame Mm -hmm. and that's way too late. So in my mind, I think that that's one of the main things that could uh, help bringing these numbers down, having a more proactive reaction than uh, rather than reactive. And we can work that with the f- hoof trimmer, of course, but also by training someone on the farm that is on top of lameness. So the person that is in charge of having lameness controlled um, that would be able to for example locomotion score that's a that's a nasty task that it's so boring but it needs to be done it's the best tool that we have so far at least some sort of routine that would help us identify these cows earlier so that we can treat them earlier and effectively because mm-hmm. it it, depending on the treatment that we use from blocks to just the trim to just the use of anti-inflammatories as well, um, the cows are going to be more likely to recover or not. So it depends on the timing on and how effective those treatments are, that the number of cows. And that just brings me back to the chronicity that I talked about right. because we see these numbers being so high because most of the cows that are lame at a point in time are chronic cows, which means that we haven't treated them efficiently and quickly enough for a long time. So how many of the producers know which ones are your chronic cows and why are they chronic cows? What is your definition of chronic cows? What are the lesions that they've had for how many lactations or how many times in one lactation? So those are the kind of things I think we need to start uh, changing. And I don't think lameness is going to go anywhere until we take a more reactive, um, well, proactive (laughs) uh, role in detecting that. Uh, And also maybe the other thing that could be looked at is a change in mindset on what labor efficiency looks like and that related to the comfort of the line surfaces. So those are, I guess, a couple of things that I think we need to change in order to bring these numbers down. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, if you've convinced anyone out there to to rethink their approach, um, they've you know adopted that mindset of a proactive approach is what's needed, or we need to you know relook at at how we're approaching this. What would be your one piece of advice for farmers listening when it comes to tackling lameness on their farms? Well, I think um, really trying to 
work towards having someone that is in charge of lameness, having a person that is responsible for taking the the load of the lameness right. problem. And with that, I do not refer to the hoof trimmer. Like the hoof trimmer is a big component of it, but what happens is that uh, really the hoof trimmer is going to be on farm you know, every two months, every month, maybe every six months, it's not a person that is going to constantly be there. And there is so much they can do. Of course, we have to uh, hopefully have a hoof trimmer that has done a good job in trimming cows and cows are not lamer when the hoof trimmer leaves. We need to know obviously how trained our hoof trimmers are and how um, well our cows are being uh, hoof trimmed. But I, I think that is limited in a way how much the hoof trimmer can do and that's when it comes uh, communicating with the farmer because what is ha most commonly happening is that they come the hoof trimmer comes they trim the cows they leave a list they leave a bill and then they say you know bring all of these cows next because I need to see them and often that doesn't even happen we don't have a system even that connects that almost so um, for the farmers I would say really try to have someone responsible on the farm either that being part of the per somebody part of the personnel or the staff or that being an independent advisor, but somebody has to take the lead into bringing these numbers down. And somebody has to be able to identifying cows early, treating them, following up, effectively treating them really, and connect all of that information with the, try to bring also on board the, the other team advisors, the mm -hmm. hoof trimmer, the nutritionist if they have to be there, uh, the veterinarian. I've lately been working uh, with veterinarians, hoof trimmers, and myself, and it, it works very well. We all have different views, I think. So hopefully um, it's, I, I do believe in the team of approach and that's something that the farmers can definitely uh, work on but starting by having also thinking about uh, about things that they can implement as a routine mm -hmm. and not just every six months or whenever I see too much then I do this or that or whenever I have time I foot bath things that are a routine uh, would become easier and that's also when we play a role as advisors on how to make these things easier for the farmer so that it can actually be implemented mm -hmm. and it's feasible and it's practical. Awesome. Well, Laura, I think that's a nice place to, to wrap up. Um, thanks very much for your time, for uh, for walking us through some of these things. I know it's a complicated topic, and uh, I think we've it's at least... a large topic. Yeah, we've at least feel, uh, peeled a few layers off the onion anyway. So thanks again. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series. The focus of this project is to try and help Canadian dairy producers make informed decisions about animal care on their farms and support them in striving for continuous improvement. For more information, please visit the Dairy Farmer of Canada website, dairyfarmers.ca, and don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. This podcast was narrated, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Roach. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening. The project is hosted by the Dairy Farmers of Canada and partly funded by the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a five-year federal, provincial, territorial initiative. Thanks for listening. Music